This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Spider pig, spider pig, does whatever a spider pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, he can't. He's a pig. Look out, he is a spider pig. money nerds welcome back to the stacking benjamin show i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and today i'm celebrating my close personal friend tony romo's 37th birthday you may not have heard of him he's a right fielder for the texas longhorns seriously biggest fan this one's for you tony Coming down to the basement today, the author of the hit new upcoming book, Broke Millennial, Aaron Lowry. From Afford Anything, we welcome Paula Pant. And what would this show be without the author of Control Your Cash, Greg McFarlane? I'll tell you what it would be, Joe. It would be a lot happier. That's what it would be. And on today's FinTech segment, we'll introduce you to Brett Crosby, who will tell us all about Peer Street. Now, the guy who can't tell the difference between point guard and a goalie, Joe Saul Seahai. Well, I have a feeling one of the two of us doesn't know what those are. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Saul Seahai, average Joe Money on Twitter. And man, when did, when did hockey start? Was it uh, 8-30-1982? Probably, probably not. Maybe a different day than that. But... We got a great Friday show for you today. Really excited to get there. You know what else I'm excited? I'm excited to send you to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Bam, nailed that one. Because when you go to magnify money, guess what happens? You're going to find that the average person who goes there saves $450 on those things that they use every stinking day. You know, like your checking account, your savings account, your credit cards, loans that you take out to get rid of 
the credit card debt. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnified money. Like we've talked about before, you know, don't use a credit card until you know that you can pay it off in full every month. And uh, by the way, a place that that helps that we've had on the show recently, Debitize, a cool app that helps people do that. But still, Debitize isn't your mommy. You got to make sure that you've got great, great systems in place before you do that. For a long time, I lived a cash lifestyle. You know that Dave Ramsey, all cash lifestyle? I did that thing because you put a credit card in my hand, baby, I was spending money. So the way to consolidate that debt, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money, just derailed the magnified money script there. Also, the place that Magnify Money calls numero uno when it comes to student loan refinancing and personal loans, that's SoFi, spelled S-O-F-I, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. And they'll throw in a hundred bucks if you refinance your student loans or take out a personal loan using our link. You'll find they have many options to serve you, like flexible loan terms, extremely competitive interest rates. Better yet, they work with members, not just customers. People who do business with SoFi know they're a different kind of company. They'll help you find a new job, invite you to networking events, roll out a range of services you're not going to find at the bank. So between Magnify Money and SoFi, what are you doing just walking into the local bank saying, what have you got? Head to first, stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money to compare, and you'll see SoFi at the top. But remember, use our link for SoFi, stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. Then you'll save $450 in interest and baloney charges when you go to magnify money. You'll also get lower interest rates when you go to SoFi, and then 100 bucks because you know us. What a great way to start your weekend, huh? Speaking of starting the weekend... Brett Crosby from Pier Street in our FinTech Friday segment in the middle of today. But Erin Lowry, I just absolutely love Erin Lowry. And she is helping us end this eight-week segment of shows. So let's get this party started. All right, let's walk across the basement here and fire up my dad shortwave. See if another Friday we can keep this thing working. Five years and we still haven't had much trouble. Let's start off in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I believe Paula Pant is waiting from Afford Anything. Dude, has it been five years? I've been podcasting for five years. You've been on the show maybe for what, three and a half, I think? Yeah, I think so. Earlier today, I was somebody was asking me about this show when I... Uh, without thinking, just kind of instinctively said, yeah, I've been on it for about three years. Yeah. So that that number feels right, even though I haven't actually verified it, which is, you know, how most people deal with numbers. Right, right. 68.7% of all the statistics we do on the show are made up on the spot. Right, Greg McFarlane <laughs> yeah. from Las Vegas also? Five years. That means the show has now featured me longer than it hasn't, I believe. How about that? Yeah. You actually made it. And what's funny is the Vegas odds on that one, Greg, those were not good. <laughs> And, I, and I'm still the new kid. That's, that's right. Well, we got a new kid for both of you guys. She is launching a book in a couple of weeks, and this is our last podcast before we take a one-week break, and she's going to kick it off talking about the book. Miss Broke Millennial herself from New York, New York, Erin Lowry joins us. 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> so, so you've got your made-up statistics as well. Yeah, that's also from Anchorman because all the millennials just laughed. That's fantastic. And you know, it's funny. My co-host would have laughed his head off at that too. And it went right over my head, which is, which is totally, it, uh, it totally went over my head too. And I, I'm supposed to 
quote unquote represent the millennials year. Yeah, everybody's hashtag shock Paula that you didn't that you didn't know what that was. <laughs> what? There's a movie reference huh? that Paula didn't get. Yeah, that's Alert weird. Media. Aaron, Paula doesn't even know that there was a movie called Anchorman, so you're good. Oh, excellent. Well, deep tracks only. Got a couple laughs from people listening in their car on their way to work, I'm sure. There it is. Well, let's kick this off, guys, because we've got uh, three interesting pieces. We're going to be all over the map today, but we're going to start with this one from the Washington Post. This written by uh, Janelle Marte. Why some families who save constantly are still struggling to make ends meet. And, and Greg, it's, it's sad when you read this. You know, people go along saving and saving and saving money, and they, they still can't get it done. This is the kind of article where I knew what it was going to say before I read it, or once I read the headline, that people are working hard and just can't catch a break. Welcome to Trump's America. They interviewed 235 families. I'd rather read a book that interviewed 235 well-to-do families instead of struggling ones, but these are the cards who were dealt. Hey, maybe I should write such a book, which you could buy on Amazon. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Here's what I would ask these 235 families who are, again, punching a clock every day and just can't seem to get ahead. How much did you spend on cigarettes this month? How much did you spend on alcohol this month? How much did you spend on recreational drugs? How much did you spend on car repairs because you were too pound foolish to buy insurance? At least for me, every poor and underachieving person in my life is there largely because of self-inflicted mistakes. Then again, I live in Las Vegas where bad habits go to fester. But I would have been a little more incisive when trying to find out why these people are struggling. I think there are more than just structural reasons. I think, though, for a good majority, but not a good majority, for a lot of people, though, I don't want to say, Greg, that Pollyanna is not the right term, but it, I think it oversimplifies it. I think there are families out there that are working their butt off, live in a small town, don't have enough opportunities uh, to make good money, and then find themselves on the short end of the stick when the job dries up. Oh, I left one out. How many kids did you have? How many kids did you have when you were still not financially solvent? Aaron, do you think it's that easy as Greg's making it? I do like the kid point, actually. Kids and pets, any sort of dependent that's sucking your money. But sorry, can you tell I don't have children? Uh, but one of my things that really caught my eye in this article was on average, the household said that 70%, 72% of the cash that they had in the bank would be needed within the next six months. And in my mind, I'm thinking a lot of that is in checking. And they said only 10% of their needs that they had saved was for at least three years away. And to your point about live in small town, job dried up, that's something that frustrates me a little bit. I see it in some people that I went to college with and that graduated with me, and that was about six years ago, that are still not in a stable job. And it's because they won't leave where they're from. And I have minimal amounts of sympathy for that. If you won't strike out and go to where the jobs are and you're just going to stay in this one small area where you know you're not going to be able to get a job and you're going to try to start a family there, you kind of know the position that you're putting yourself in. Are and it's an unfortunate reality, I think. Yeah, no, 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 I think I think you're right there. Paula, let's bring you into this conversation. They say in this article that a piece of this is also income problems, like Aaron's talking about. They're in an unstable job where maybe one week they get 40 hours, the next week they get 20. How do you pre prevent breaking the budget every other week? Well, I think that the answer to a lot of people's financial problems is to find ways to earn more, whether that means uh, to getting a second job, starting some type of a side hustle or, or side business, such as reselling things on eBay or uh, freelancing online. But you can only frugal down so much. And I think a lot of financial advice is misguided in its uh, 
uh, emphasis on save, 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 when in fact, for many people, uh, the emphasis really needs to be on earn, 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 particularly for people in lower middle income brackets. I think uh, none of the three of you work for the man. Uh, Aaron, you just do Broke Millennial now, right? Yeah, I stepped away from my last full-time job in November of 2016, so it hasn't been a terribly long period of time, but I was working full-time and had side-hustled and was very diligently tracking. I do monthly net worth updates and then also track all the side-hustle income that I have coming in, and I realized that I was earning enough that I could support myself. And then I figured if I went all in on freelancing, then in addition, so to also back up, I don't make a bunch of money from the blog. I never really monetize that way. Most of mine is from like speaking gigs as well as where I write for other folks. And so I figured if I went all in, I would be able to at least double the amount that I was earning. And so far I am on track to out earn what I was earning when I was just quote unquote working for the man. Don't you miss the stability though? <laughs> no. <laughs> but that was exactly, actually an offshoot of Greg's point and not kidding because people wonder, how do you handle though the uneven paychecks? Some weeks you'll make a ton and other weeks you'll make very little. Well, a little bit of it is the whole zero sum budgeting strategy, which is living off of last month's income for this month so that you're not overspending. But a lot of it for me is that I do have a pretty simple life in terms of expenses other than my rent. Uh, I live in New York City, so I have relatively expensive rent. But other than that, I don't have any big number costs. I've also set myself up from a very young age to live debt free. So I picked a college based on coming out debt free because I knew it would give me more opportunity and therefore I could take more risk in my life. So it really backtracks all the way to when I was about 17, 18 years old. Greg, how about you when you stopped working for the man and work for yourself? How did you deal with un uneven paychecks? Well, first of all, I lived in a two-income household. But second, honestly, I hit the ground running. I My first month was pretty successful, and that sustained me. Okay. If it hadn't been as successful, well, I wasn't going to give up. I would have I would have tried until I eventually came around. But hitting a home run or at least a double in your first at-bat certainly doesn't hurt. And to Erin's point, she's exactly right. Going where the jobs are or where the opportunities are, I think a lot of people who can't seem to get ahead and lament their condition or, well, my family's here. My friends are here. John Cougar Mellencamp wrote a song about my neighbors. I, I moved to a different town. I mean, hell, I moved to a different country. And the town I came from was not exactly in the Dust Bowl. Vancouver, one of the most expensive and dynamic places in the Western world. But I needed to change the scenery. And if you do that, regardless of where you come from, I think it'll force you to stay afloat. I couldn't move in with mom and dad. I didn't have that safety net. Not that either one of them would have taken me anyway. Paula, when you started, how did you get around uneven income streams? So I lived very cheaply uh, when I first started. My, my story is a little bit unusual in that I worked a full-time job and also freelanced during the evenings and weekends. But and that did two things in that, number one, that freelancing income gave me additional savings. And number two, it gave me confidence. And I think that confidence was more important. But I quit my job and then just went and traveled and did like absolutely nothing for a couple of years. And when I came back to the United States, I decided to become a full-time freelancer, essentially starting from zero. So my story is different in that I think the majority of people whom I talk to have a full-time gig and then ramp up their side income and then eventually get to the point where that side income uh, they feel confident enough to live on that side income. I did sort of an amended version of that. And I wouldn't recommend that people do that. But that was my approach. And so because I was coming back to the U.S. and starting from zero or almost zero in terms of income, I lived as cheaply as I effing possibly could. I rented one bed 
bedroom within a three bedroom, tiny little like triplex. My share of the rent was for me specifically, it was $200 a month. So Will and I were splitting the room and our combined share was 400 a month. So, you know, when your rent's 200 bucks a month and you're driving a car that, that has a resale value of $1,500 and you're eating mostly pasta, you don't really need a whole lot of money. And then from there, I was, I was able to gradually ramp up over time. How do you get by on just pasta? I'd weigh 600 pounds and sleep all day. <laughs> you know, people tend to eat out a lot. Many people eat at restaurants a lot. And if you actually think about the calorie content and the carb content of those meals, it's often healthier to eat at home, even if you're kind of sticking with like spaghetti and eggs uh, and beans, like they're all cheap. They're really cheap, but like beans are loaded in protein and fiber and dirt cheap. So that was how I got started. I want to go to another issue that they bring up at the bottom of this uh, piece, which we've had guests on before talking about, which is, does it bother you sometimes, Aaron, that big banks really don't work for poor people? I mean, it seems like the banking industry is built on the backs of poor people, right? With the with the insufficient fund fees, ATM fees, like people that are much more close to the vest. And then super rich people get tons and tons and tons of free services. Does that bother you at all? So much so that it's uh, two slides and presentations that I give to college students where, well, when I always ask people, are you at the same bank that your parents use? And almost every time, 90% of the room raises their hands. And then I say, all right, if you were to take a guess how much money the big banks, and this is specifically JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America and Wells Fargo, these three, if you were to guess how much they got in overdraft fees alone in 2015, how much do you think it is? And people usually guess like 50 million or maybe a billion. It's 5.1 billion with a B. And that's just overdraft fees. Add an ATM fees, it goes up to 6 billion. And then I, I switch the slide and the next thing is always, so you wonder how banks get naming rights to like Bank of America Stadium <laughs> or Key Bank Arena. Like they are using your overdraft fees to pay for these things. Right. The bottom of the pyramid is building stadiums. That's, that's horrible. I think that's a good place to leave leave that piece. I really, I really struggle with this issue of uh, poverty in America, and I know that that sometimes it is living where there aren't jobs, and you do have to move. To Greg's point, um, uh, you got to go where the opportunity is. But then again, I also think that um, that the problems involve sometimes the financial industry really uh, sticking it to the little guy as well. Uh, the, the good news, though, Joe, yeah. I, none of the people in that article they didn't have emergency funds. See, silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Greg won Joe Zero. We got, got that. Uh, number number two piece tonight comes to us from, uh, is it Mike or Mick, Paula? It's Mike. Uh, I assume it's Mike. I think it's Mike. How to, how to stop worrying about retirement and actually start saving some money. This piece written by Christy Rakoski. Greg, let's start with you. A lot of people worrying about saving some money for retirement. How do you quit worrying and start saving? This is the worst article I've ever read. Sentence number one, millennials are smarter about money than their parents. Sentence number two, weighed down by student debt, comma. Uh, yeah, I hope I don't need to explain this, but being weighed down by student debt makes you a whole lot dumber about money than your parents were. To me, the basics of this are what she says in the article multiple times in different ways, which is save as much as you reasonably can. All she says are different permutations of that. Okay, sounds good to me. Hey, Paula, next question's for you. Does Greg, every show, call one of the articles the dumbest article he's ever read? 
Yes, actually, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, <laughs> at least once a week, Greg comes upon the dumbest article he's ever read. I have to admit, that's not an original thought. I stole that from Artie Lang back when he was on the <laughs> Howard Stern show. Every time another celebrity swimsuit model porn star walked in, he'd say, that's the hottest chick we've ever had in here. <laughs> So I'm paying tribute to my favorite heroin addicted comedian. <laughs> I thought the, I thought I was just setting the bar lower and lower and lower for you every week, Greg. Like I've said, hey, can I beat that one? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Paula, you're going to say something. I was just going to comment that I was watching The Simpsons last night. I was digging through the archives and watching a very old episode. And there was a scene where Marge said, Homer, this is the worst thing you've ever done. And Homer said, Oh, you say that so much, it's lost all meaning. <laughs> yeah, I hear that from Greg. It's the worst ever. I'm like, oh, cool. High five me. But really, these points, I want to go over these points because I do think a lot of things in this piece are misguided. But number one, Aaron, it says open a retirement savings account or put more money into an existing one. Is that really step one when it comes to stopping worrying about your retirement? Well, you can't save very effectively if you don't have the account. Good but point. I think that... <laughs> Instead of that just being the initial thing, it's also about running the audit on your finances to see how much you can be putting in there and understanding the different types of retirement accounts and evaluating which one is best for you. Well, that's what I thought was, was isn't the first step figuring out how much money you can put there? Because what you run into, I used to work with companies and employees on their financial plans. It was so frustrating to see so many people sock a ton of money into the 401k, and then three weeks later, they're taking a 401k loan because they didn't go through their budget first. And I think it's interesting too. I've known a couple of people who get really into fire the financial independence, retire early, and they up their contributions so much they don't realize that they won't be receiving money in a paycheck. And I think it's kind of funny when that cycle happens. Now, most of them have savings they can pull from. But I actually knew a couple of people who weren't finance nerds who were like, oh, I'm going to increase my 401k contribution, not really thinking of what the actual implications were. And all of a sudden, they saw like $1,000 leave out of their paycheck. And they're like, oh, I cannot afford to do that. So yes, you need to actually run the numbers before you are arbitrarily say, like, I'm going to put 20% in here. That's just crazy talk, Lowry. I don't know what you're talking about. No, <laughs> number two, does sarcasm play on the radio? Number two, Paula, learn the rules for contributions. I think I agree with Aaron that you got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you are in, in a position in which you are not going to hit the maximum allowable contribution, it's good to at least know what those numbers are because that informs your decision-making process in general. And because you never lose by being a more informed citizen. But to Aaron's point earlier, I, by the way, Aaron, I love the way you said that. Yeah, everything is a trade-off. Whether you're putting money into a trad account versus a Roth account, whether you're putting it into a 401k where you would have to take a loan to get it back out versus a Roth IRA where you can tap the principal if you need to, not that you should, but you can without penalty. Um, like all of these are kind of in that trade-off decision matrix. Yeah. And so- that's why it's important to learn the rules of all of them, not just the contribution limits, but the overall rules of all of them before you figure out what retirement accounts you're going to open and, and what you're going to do with it. Well, that's what and I was, no, yeah, I was going to say. We're, we're missing something a little bit in this rule number two in here, which is also if you already have an employer matched 401k and you also want to contribute to an IRA, there are limits on that as well, which she doesn't really touch. And so to think that somebody would say, oh, I'm putting in a 401k and I'm also going to max out an IRA, but then they could get hit with a penalty because no, you can't always do that depending on what you're funding. So again, it goes back to understanding what type of account it is. Yeah. Or you can't write it off. You can put the money in whatever, the income limits, all that stuff. That's the thing that frustrated right. me, Greg, 
was that not only it, she says learning the rules for con- for contributions. I think about Stephen Covey saying, whenever you pick up one end of the stick, you also pick up the other end, right? What what about the rules about taking the money out? It seems like when I put the money in, I want to know how the hell I get it. Exactly. And, and nobody thinks about that uh, with a cursory examination like this. Open a 401k. Sure. Why not? Get the employer match. Yes, that's free money. But step one, step one is not opening a retirement savings account. Step one is paying off your debts, your consumer debt, your student loans, your undergrad loans at six or seven percent. Get rid of those. Think of them as negative investments, something that is giving you a rate of minus six percent cut away that dead weight first and then worry about building on the positive side of the ledger. But you know why people don't think about that, Greg? They don't think the paying off debt is retirement savings when it totally is. Absolutely. It is. It's yeah. However you want to categorize it, it doesn't matter. Money is money. Right. Calculate how much you can save. Aaron, I was thinking about uh, you when, when I was reading this, how do you make that number bigger? The amount that you think you can save? Well, there's two options, spend less or earn more. As Paula mentioned earlier, I mean, it's, it's really that basic. To me, it, when I was, especially when I was traditionally employed, every penny that I earned in freelance income was money that I didn't need to support myself. So every little bit of it went into savings. So I think a big part of it is figuring out where your hustle is going to be. Or the other thing is learn how to negotiate. Learn how to either be reducing your bills through negotiating or earning more from your employer. Do you negotiate much? Yes, constantly. Do you really? Tell me something that you've negotiated. I negotiated two days ago to get better internet speed at a cheaper price. So less than you're paying now? Yes. So I went from, they upped, I've been a, an RCN, which is the internet here, customer for five years. And I had a really old modem and I was noticing that my internet was really lagging. So I called and said, hey, my one year just came up. I see you upped me $10 and I don't want to pay $71 a month for your service. I didn't word it quite like that. But I said, you know, I'm interested in moving up in how much I internet I take in. So um, I see this plan here that you have a deal on, even though I've been a customer, I've been a loyal one and I would hate to have to go over to Time Warner. So perhaps we can work something out. And so now I'm paying less money for more internet. Did they have to go ask their boss or was it instant? No, it's interesting there. I found a lot of people are pretty empowered because a lot of them work on commissions. So as long as they have the capability to do that for you, I've done it a couple times with RCN and it's never been a problem. And I always tell people, if you run into someone who says no, just say, okay, thanks. Hang up the phone and call back 10 minutes later. You're going to get a different salesperson. Unbelievable. Number four on here, Paula, I really like this one. Throw bonus funds into your IRA. Money that you didn't think that you were going to have, put that in your IRA and you're less likely to touch it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of that point because uh, a lot of times, you know, people come into little amounts of money, like whether it's a commission check that you didn't expect to get, whether it's birthday money, whether it's um, whatever it might be, whether it's $10 or $100 or $1,000, it's money that you don't need. It's money that you didn't plan on having. So if you just funnel that into savings, it may not feel like much in the beginning, but if you make that a habit, then, you know, Little habits over time grow into big things. And by the way, when I say savings, uh, and this kind of goes to the point that Greg made earlier when he was talking about how a lot of people don't believe, they don't view debt as the same thing as retirement savings. I tend to use the word savings very broadly to reference anything that improves your net worth. Mm. So whether that's literal savings in a savings account or debt reduction or retirement savings or investing in a taxable account. I mean, any, any net worth improvement is a good thing. 
I always compare what I think future cash flow is going to be with uh, then interest rates. So if I pay off this debt, I'm going to get 8%. That's like 8% of my money if I do this. So I think it's like an investment that pays me. It really isn't, but I like thinking about it that way for the same exact reason. The last one on here is ramp up your automated contributions. I'm not going to spend any time on that, but I like that. If you don't think you can save much, just do the boil the frog <laughs> approach where you slowly turn it up over time. And it's funny, as a financial planner, I would do this. My Our partner OG would do this too, where you know, he'll say, well, let's just, let's see if we can save $25 more. And then they meet again six months later. Let's see if we can save $25 more. And it's funny when you just save $25 more every time, you know, you don't even know where the money went. Hey, got to take a quick break from this amazing conversation with Aaron Lowry, author of the new book, Broke Millennial, and also with Paula and Greg. To say a big thanks to everybody who's gone to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money. You know, we comparison shop everything, don't we? We uh, look and look and look for a new pair of jeans. We'll drive miles across town to save a couple pennies on gas. How dumb is that? But yet, when it comes to our financial products, we don't shop at all. We just go to the easy place, the place that has a couple ads on TV. What if there were a place we could go where we could look at all of the financial solutions that are out there, or roughly 92% of them, according to one Reddit user, and bada boom, bada bing, get the best in class. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is that place. And when you head to magnify money, what you're going to find is it's super easy to use. And they show you how much baloney you're going to have to go through. They've got this cool fine print rating which you'll have to check out when you go there. So go there. You don't have to register. Check it out for yourself. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And if you head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, spelled S-O-F-I, know what you're going to find there? Well, you'll find that they're the leader in marketplace lending, helping you with student loans, personal loans, and mortgages. Here's how it works. You point your browser over to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, and it'll ask you, what type of help are you looking for? And from that point, you'll fill in a few details about yourself. And like our friend Dan Macklin over at SoFi says, in a few seconds, in most cases, you'll know everything about how they can work with you. You'll be able to pick from different terms, check out interest rates and variable and fixed rate options and get that ball of roll. In fact, it's so easy. MagnifyMoney.com lists their fine print rating is A+, meaning it's all easy to understand. You're looking for lower rates and a good partner. They're looking for new members to help. For your mortgage, student loans, personal loans, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi and they'll throw in a hundred bucks if you use our link for that student loan refinance of your next personal loan, stackybenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. All right, it's Friday. And for those of you new to the Stacky Benjamin Show, that means we talk FinTech. We do not endorse any of the products that come on our FinTech Friday segments. We just want to show you all the cool stuff that's out there. And uh, the people over at the Mr. Money Mustache blog and forums. Voted Peer Street their number one cool thingy. That's that's not the term that they use, but that's what I'm going to call it. And so I said, uh, what's that all about? So luckily, we reached out to Brett Crosby over at Peer Street, and he's ready to come down to the basement. Let's hear all about real estate investing made easy. Brett Crosby from Peer Street. And Mr. Pier Street himself, Brett Crosby, coming down to the basement. Welcome, man. Have a seat. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Joe. Uh, wow, it's comfortable down here. I really appreciate it. You didn't expect it, did you? 
No, it's much more comfortable than uh, than I've heard. So it's good. <laughs> right. We got to keep saying that out loud for some people. The creepiness factor kind of goes away. But something that's not creepy at all to try to use a bad segue is is Pier Street. So it was was Pier Street originally your idea, Brad, or was it somebody else's idea? I'd love to claim credit for it. I'm a serial entrepreneur doing lots of things, but this is actually my co-founder, Brew Johnson's idea, who's our CEO and a friend of mine from college. Um, we kind of had different career paths. Specifically, he had this, he ended up being a real estate attorney, saw the downturn coming and like what was leading up to 2008, it led him to the securitization engine. And he just saw all these people making these egregious errors. And he's like, you know, something that is not going to end well. And if it does go the way he thought it was going to go, he's like, something might have to come in and replace banks. And so he thought something like Pier Street would be the answer to help kind of funding real estate projects. Uh, so it was his idea. He approached me when I was at Google. I'd been at Google for about 10 years. You know, I'd been approached for lots of different things. But when he walked me through the model and we really got into it, I got quite excited about it. Ended up leaving Google explicitly to do this with him because very few people have the experience he has. You could see all the angles on this business and why it's just really beneficial to humanity. And so I ended up quitting Google and joining him to do this as a co-founder. And um, uh, that was about two and a half years ago. And we've been cranking ever since. It's an interesting idea, especially born, you know, at a time when so many things were going wrong. In fact, I think it's fascinating on your website that Dr. Michael Burry, who a lot of people might not know at first, but he was played by Christian Bale and who loves to play the drums in the movie, The Big Short. How wild was it for you when uh, uh, Dr. Burry decided he really liked it? You know, it was a huge turning point for me in the process of evaluating if I thought this was a good idea, frankly. (laughs) Yeah, strangely, like Dr. Bray and I both are investors in a different business called Zola, which is like this online kind of booking engine for things you do on your vacation, I guess. I connected to him via that, and he doesn't talk to a lot of people, so it's hard to get a meeting. Everyone said, look, you're going to have 20 minutes, you're in and out, no small talk, etc. Not only were we in there for an hour and a half, but we connected on a many different levels. And he and Brew talked about like the lead up to 08 and all the, their commonalities and that and seeing it coming and, you know, the privatized gains and socialized losses that were affected, you know, how, how many people were affected and how if you did a marketplace model, it could really have corrected a lot of things. It could have cleared the market much faster, just done a whole bunch of things. So he helped me essentially kind of diligence the idea when we were still just doing a slide deck and like pitching it. And, you know, we were pitching him as an advisor and he said, forget it. I want to invest in this business. I'm really passionate about it. I think you guys could actually, if you get this thing to scale, like real scale could really take on, you know, help solve a lot of the problems with a larger mortgage finance system. And we're talking huge scale if we get there. So this is like a 10, 20 year project to try and get to that level of scale that we're talking about. But yeah, so it was a huge thing for us to have him involved. And he's been incredibly helpful along the way. Well, and he's not the only one. There's people like uh, Chris Saka. Uh, who else? Horowitz is probably the one. So Andreessen Horowitz is like a huge VC. Yes. And uh, they led our most recent round, our Series A. Mark Andreessen was the guy who invented, you know, the browser. Sure. Uh, And uh, Ben Horowitz, you know, founder of uh, LoudCloud and Opsware, sold for, you know, billions. So having those guys on board was like a huge, huge thing for us as well. Well, let's talk about, Brett, what they like so much because everybody listening is like, okay, all these people whose names are names that they know like it. What exactly do you guys do? Let's describe what Peer Street actually does. Yeah, so Peer Street is a platform for investing in real estate debt. We focus on short-term bridge loans, typically to fix and flippers or people who buy to rent. This asset class has always existed. We think it's like one of the best risk-adjusted return 
options out there, which is why we built this business around it. But there were some problems with it before Peer Street that we're effectively solving with the SASAC class. And those problems are, number one, most people didn't have access to it. And I'll touch on that in a second because there's a good analogy on that. And we're making it much more accessible. Number two, even if you could access this asset, you had to have a very concentrated position. So like $100,000 in an individual deal, et cetera. And we're solving that too. We're At Peer Street, it's $1,000 minimum investment. So you can take that, you know, if you're going to put $100,000 to work, you can diversify that across a hundred different deals. And so, you know, everyone knows the benefits of diversification is just a very important thing. And we're bringing that to this asset class. The final thing is, uh, or probably two other things are really important is that it's a very low touch investment. So previously, if, you know, you invested in this asset class, you had to do all this work diligencing and we, we put all the information up. You can pick and choose your deals so you can still diligence. But then if something goes wrong in a deal, it's backed by the underlying real estate. These are first position liens on real estate that you're investing in. So that means you're the first person to get paid back. So if something goes wrong, we can go do the workout on behalf of our users. Platform-wide, we beat all the you know the consumer credit stuff uh, with far fewer defaults. And if there is a default, there's underlying real estate. So um, and the, the last two things are just worth mentioning here. Number one, we're not a direct lender. We aggregated up the supply from existing lenders. We curate that supply to make sure that we think it's very high quality. And then we bring it to market for investors. And the final thought is... It's something people should feel really good about. I recently wrote a blog post about this. I think of these as community improvement loans because what these borrowers are doing is finding the worst houses in the neighborhood and turning them into some of the best houses by buying them and, and fixing them up. You do that once, great. You do that multiple times in a neighborhood, you can really lift up the entire community, local jobs, buying stuff from local stores, and kind of like giving more people access to like high-quality neighborhoods instead of blight. And that's just an important thing. It's almost like Kiva loans for American infrastructure. Right. Right. And you actually make some money on it versus Kiva where you get a nice warm feeling. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let me break this down a little bit more because because I think there's some people driving down the road who still, Brett, don't know what you're talking about. So what you're talking about is somebody is a real estate investor and you are loaning them the money. And instead of loaning them the money for the house, you're putting a thousand dollars in and maybe you're getting a piece of tons of different loans. That's what you're talking about. Well, if you're going to put $1,000 or minimum investments, that'd be in one individual deal. But if you're going to put more money at stake, you get, you know, at work, you put $1,000 in one loan and then $1,000 in another one, et cetera. And you can do more in an individual deal or you can spread it out like I was talking about. But you're picking and choosing your deals. We also have automated investing that you can choose, et cetera. But yeah, you're helping someone either buy a property and fix it, basically buy a property and fix it up so that they can sell it and they can make a profit and they can pay your loan along the way. How do you get paid back? Do you get paid back monthly like a regular mortgage would be paid back? Correct. Yeah, that's how individual investors get paid back. And that's how Pure Street, we have a 1% servicing spread. So if we buy the loan from a lender at you know, 10% and we put it on the platform for a 9% annualized yield, yeah, we'll take that. We'll take a 1% servicing spread. And for that, we go vet the lenders very carefully. We vet the loans, do it, look at all the legal, look at all, make sure all the, like everything's been done properly. And then we actually will buy it and then put it up on the platform I see. Uh, for investors to invest in. So, and, and that's what you mean when you say that you're not a direct lender, meaning you're, you're not loaning Billy Bob the money to fix up his, his neighbor's house. You're looking at a portfolio that maybe a bank has or a credit union has or something, and then you're buying the loan off their books. Yeah, that's effectively right. Although the one caveat is, and this is a very like kind of eccentric uh, part of the real estate and uh, mortgage finance industry, but the space is dominated by local private lenders. 
typically banks won't do these loans for a lot of reasons, but it's mainly because they're just so heavily regulated. Although banks love these loans as an investment. (laughs) It's a very interesting thing. But the reason it's really, and this is a really important point, the reason it's dominated by these local private lenders, you know, there are thousands of these scattered throughout the country and the two biggest only have less than 2% market share. So that's how fragmented it is. And the reason for that is that knowing your local real estate market and you're knowing your local borrowers is very, very important in this space. And so the guys who are very good at this um, have those relationships. They, they know the industry inside and out. And so oftentimes they're from those areas. So they can say, oh, I know that house. I grew up across the street from there or, you know, that's the sunny side of the street over there or whatever. And so that's a good property. And so they're underwriting both the property and the and the borrower. And then what we do when we buy the loan is then we double check that underwriting using data to see if they've done their job. But you want someone who's local, who understands their local market to do that first pass at underwriting. So we get the benefit of basically having this national distributed network of lenders. We provide this technology overlay on top of those lenders to kind of ensure the quality. That's fascinating. And then the the way you guys make money then, Brett, is the 1%? Yeah, we take a 1% servicing spread. So yeah, if we get it at 10%, we'll put it out at 9% for investors annualized. Gotcha. And these aren't long-term loans like a 30-year mortgage. You're looking at 6 to 24 months. Correct. Yeah. Our, and our average term platform-wide has been about 10.4 months. Our average yield has been 8.4%. And the average loan-to-value, which is your biggest risk proxy in this asset class, has been uh, about 63.3%. And that fluctuates between about 63 to 65%. But our max is up to 75%, you'll see on our platform. But if you take our, you know, a weighted average across our entire, all the deals we've done, which is north of 700 these days, and uh, uh, near about 300 million in volume over the last, mostly last year and a half, that's the loan to value. And that's a great position to be in considering that like, you know, that's your, the borrower's got a lot of skin in the game at that point. The, the reason that seems important to me is that when you talk about maybe the borrower not repaying, if that loan to value is really low, the chance of you getting your money back is, is pretty good, I would think. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And if they don't, I mean, that's the beauty of this asset class. If the borrower does not pay, you have the first position lien. So we as Pier Street will go on behalf of our investors, go foreclose on that property and then sell it. That's kind of the worst case scenario. You know, if a deal goes really south, that's where it ends up. That's the beauty of this asset class. You can actually go in and buy the property. I'm sorry, you can go foreclose on the property and sell it and then ideally protect your your principal and hopefully interest as well. So what you're saying is, is that unfortunately, if the person doesn't pay the bill, I don't get my own basement and I share it with the other 45 investors that are in that property? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and that's the beauty is like, I know people like, you know, as I, said, I worked at Google for 10 years. I was the founder of Google, one of the founders of Google Analytics. I launched a whole bunch of products there. I knew people at Google who, do these loans on the side. And I personally did some lending on the side or investing in these loans on the side. And it's great if everything works out fine. It's like a fantastic investment. But if it doesn't, and you have a day job and you're trying to handle the workout situation, it's just that's where most people are not actually prepared to be investing in this asset class. That's why it's one of the reasons why it stayed stayed to such a small amount of people and just wasn't accessible to a lot of people. And so what we're, you know, we're just democratizing this asset class and like taking out a lot, you know, the, as many of the hassle factors as we can think of to make it just a, a very simple way to invest in a, what we think is a fantastic asset. And uh, the site is where people can learn more is peerstreet.com. Anything else we need to know, Brett? Those are the main things. You know, I think you should read the blog post on um, why these are beneficial to communities throughout the country. I, I'm personally very passionate about that. I think it's a very exciting part of the story that really hasn't been told. 
the other thing is we have a great explainer video on our website. And then we also have people that you can hop on the phone with if you want to. Those things are a great way if you're interested in investing in, in something new. Take a look at those and then uh, give us a try. Well, that's exciting stuff. And we'll have links to all those, by the way, guys, on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Brett, thanks a ton for taking some time for us today. Happy to do it. Thanks for hosting me in the basement. You know, longtime listeners to the show know that we've talked a lot about REITs and about some of the problem with real estate investment trusts, especially the closed ones. It'll be interesting to see Pier Street in this, uh, in this area because it just like what I love about fintech in general, just so many things in finance are ready to be broken and to have new people like Pier Street comes in. So thanks a ton to Brett. If you want to know more about Pier Street, head to our show notes page, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Pier Street. All right, let's get back to our awesome conversation with Aaron Lowry, author of the hot new book, Broke Millennial, Paula Pant from Afford Anything, and Greg McFarland, author of Control Your Cash. Let's move on to the best piece of the evening, which comes to us from ABC News. This is from Lauren Efron. Seven strange ways to make money. It's fantastic. And I know that all three of you have probably made money in some strange ways or you've heard people making money in strange ways. But let's start with some of these. Aaron, any of these you especially like that you're like, oh, wow, that's a great way to make money? Well, some of them make it clear this was written in 2012 because like being a mommy blogger as an option, like, <laughs> mm, I don't know that that pays out what they think it does anymore <laughs> as an oversaturated area. But my favorite one, because I have a dog, is number eight, which is rent out your stuff, even your dog. And I think that it would be a hilarious idea to use Mosby as like some sort of comfort dog, especially in New York, where a lot of people can't have a dog in their apartment and say like, hey, if you come over, you can buy 30 minutes of cuddle time with my dog. <laughs> I just think that's kind of hilarious. Would somebody actually pay for that, do you think? There are people that actually loan themselves out as humans to cuddle with. You don't do anything other than cuddle, but it's for people who perhaps feel they're not getting enough intimate affection in a non-sexual context and just want to cuddle or be held or hug. And there are people who earn money being professional cuddlers. Speaking of, speaking of sexual context, Greg, you've got that, <laughs> you got that great radio voice. You ever think about becoming a phone sex operator, which is number three on this? I'm glad you started with someone else, just so I know what's appropriate and what isn't when answering this question. <laughs> first of all, was mommy blocking ever lucrative? Maybe for the first uh, 10? Yeah. And after that, diminishing returns, not a phone sex operator, but I do have a, it's a side business at this point, but yeah, I, I voice TV commercials. I voice radio commercials. I don't talk about it here because it's not terribly relevant to what I do. But for me, out of the same studio that we're in now with a little more soundproofing and different software, I'm not saying everybody can do this, but it works for me. You put a script in front of me. How hard can it be? So yeah, I guess that's using a talent as opposed to a skill, something that was more born with and developed and not really breaking that much of a sweat to do it or even, or even leaving my home. How did you get into that, Greg? Because people might want to know, did you, uh, was it because you were in the advertising business and it was just a natural fit? The easiest way to get into it is to spend way too many years of your life underpaid as a radio disc jockey. Ah, right. Yep. What about selling stuff on eBay? Paula, have you ever thought about doing that? I have occasionally sold a few items on eBay, not not for the express purpose of making money, but just if there's an item that I want to get rid of that I think has a value that is high enough to justify my time. Yeah, I've posted that stuff on eBay. And actually, eBay now has a service. It's called a, it's eBay Valet, 
where uh, if you don't want to deal with taking photos and putting up the listing and all of that, you just throw your stuff into a box, send it to eBay. They'll take care of it for you, and then they'll cut you a check for some percentage of it. Maybe not making a lot of money, but you're getting rid of a lot of clutter. Yeah. And, you know, by virtue of getting rid of clutter, I found that that makes me more mindful of future spending because now if I'm tempted to make some type of an impulse purchase, there's a moment where I hold that item in my hand and I think to myself, is this just going to become clutter that I have to throw away? And nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. And so I put the item back. So getting rid of clutter, counterintuitively, a lot of people hoard on to things because they have sunk cost fallacy and they believe, well, I've already paid for it. Therefore, the frugal thing to do is hold it counterintuitively, getting rid of stuff actually has a positive effect on your net worth. Yeah, I always feel great, too. I mean, I just, yeah, I feel zoned in. I'm going to leave these. I don't want to talk about hoarding pennies or or getting rid of someone else's junk. What I'd really like to talk about are maybe bizarre jobs that you've heard of or bizarre jobs that you've had. Aaron, anything uh, juicy when it comes to bizarre job world? Mm, I think it was more of my behavior in a job that's not bizarre. But when I first moved to New York, so I think kind of calling back to Paula's point about anything that you're doing to save more or to increase your overall net worth. I was earning a little over $23,000 a year living in New York City, and I didn't want to rack up any debt. And one of the things I did to save was I was a barista at Starbucks. And anytime I had a closing shift, I would take home all the quote unquote expired foods, throw it in my freezer. And I lived off those paninis and bistro boxes and cake pops and what have you for a very, very long time. So the fact that my heart has not exploded from sodium (laughs) intake is certainly interesting. (laughs) But it's kind of to me finding like interesting, odd little loopholes that way as well. And I also started a pet sitting empire when I lived in Japan. So that's not that odd, but my sister and I was 10, my sister was seven, and we lived in an apartment building where all the expats would go to their home countries during the summer. And we, for my parents had decided we were staying in Japan that summer. So my sister and I volunteered to cat sit and dog sit people's animals all summer. And we each raked in about a thousand dollars. Wow. What's the, what's the key to running a pet sitting empire? Um, have a cute little sister that you can put on a flyer and then stick it up in the community board and then also have your parents strong arm people into supporting you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding on that last one. But we actually just proactively went up to people we knew had pets and said like, hey, we're going to be around. You want us to watch your dog? And they say, yes, and you're good. Yeah, sure. Greg, how about you? <laughs> oh, what the hell? It's not like anybody can see my face. Art classes, University of Toronto, modeling. It's, it's just like the, it's just like the, Radio voiceover thing, except nothing moves, including the mouth. So you just said- Wait, were you a nude model? 25 bucks an hour, Paula. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was waiting for that but, question to get asked. I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> Most students didn't giggle quite quite like that, but okay. Greg, 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 uh, Greg reveals pieces of himself every show that just <laughs> never stop amazing me. That's 25 bucks an hour, though. Man, that's good money. Canadian, but still. Yeah, right. Paula, how about you? Strange work? I was a mascot once. A mascot? That's awesome. uh, Yes. I wore a dog costume. Uh, That was also 25 bucks an hour. There's this island called Hilton Head Island in South Carolina, and they have a restaurant called the Salty Dog Cafe. I've been there. I've eaten there. (laughs) (laughs) I was the mascot. Scott, what year? I was the salty dog. <laughs> oh, that would have been, uh, let me think. So that was in between my sophomore and junior years of college. So that would have been uh, 
the summer of 2002. Alas, not the year I was there. No, I was only there like <laughs> I was only there like three years ago. So that that's a huge restaurant, man. They do some cranking business. Totally, and and I was the salty dog. I put on a, a dog mascot costume. It was super hot because it's South Carolina in the summertime. But I would strap these packets of ice to my chest, and like I had uh, one packet of ice strapped around my forehead, and I put pull on the costume, and I'd get out on the boardwalk and just dance around with the kids. And I had a an employee who would like follow me around and you know basically hold my hand and make sure that I wasn't about to pass out from heat. Yeah. I, I had, it's funny you say that because we went on a vacation when our kids were young to Mammoth Cave and we, we stayed at the uh, Jellystone KOA and I got to be Yogi Bear. And the, the guy who was the director, the, the, like the campground, whatever director comes up to me, says, hey, we'd like to have dads be Yogi Bear. You want to be Yogi Bear on the hayride? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I want to be Yogi Bear. So he takes me to the little Yogi house about 20 minutes before. And you're right, they put packets of ice and I thought, man, these packets of ice are overkill. They totally aren't overkill, are they, Paula? Oh, no, not at all. Like, at least once every 15 minutes, I would have to go take my head off and stand in the walk-in freezer. <laughs> right. Well, I didn't have that opportunity, but by the end, I was a pile of sweat, and both of these ice belts were uh, completely just, they were hot water by then. But they walked me out. The kids are cheering. I'm the last one on, like you. I had a handler that was a person. I sit down. You know how Yogi Bear has this little tie? I sit down, and I'm clapping as they're singing songs, and we're going around the campground, picking up people. And this this little kid sits next to me, and all of a sudden, my head gets yanked straight down. And you can't see anything through those stupid little holes, so I have no idea what's going on. And I kind of hear laughing as my head goes back up, and then I get yanked back down again, and I come back up, and I get yanked back down again. I look over. This little, we're just going to call him, for lack of a better term, this little is, has a hold of my tie and he's yanking and his dad is sitting next to him laughing his head off. And I look over at my handler like, please, God, save me because somebody's going to get some YouTube video of, of Yogi Bear going off on some seven-year-old. And uh, yeah, it was, it, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty horrible. I was glad to take it off. I still remember that kid and that was a while ago. Yeah, thanks for bringing up the trauma. By the way, we need a mascot for the show, Paula, so let's talk afterwards. Oh, dude. Wait, would I be Benjamin? You could would be, I be like... Absolutely. What would I be? What is the mascot? We could, I have no idea. Benjamin, it's got to be Benjamin, so you'll be... Yeah, yeah, it's got to be Benjamin. You'll be... We'll, we'll take you to FinCon as, as Benjamin walking around. Oh, that would be awesome. That, Benny P. That would be crazy. All right. I think on that note, that very important note, we're going to, I bet everybody's glad they stayed for that last section. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about what you kids are doing in, in your world. Wait, and wait, yes. Wait, Joe, do you offer 25 an hour for that? Uh, Pat, next question. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from Aaron Lowry that you have to negotiate everything, Paula. So I'm so okay. Then so 25 true. an hour adjusted for inflation. How about 20, Heck yeah, call out. How about 25 an hour Canadian? <laughs> Yeah, because Canadian dollars have really dropped, Greg. So now, you know, paying in Canadians a bigger steal than it was when you were doing that. I want to know if Paula knows who Yogi Berra is. I know, and I'm the young duck. <laughs> Yogi Bear is a cartoon character. Yogi Berra was like a baseball player oh! or something. Nailed it. What the hell happened to her, <laughs> Greg? Are you on some kind of medication, Paula? <laughs> How did you get that right? I'm just, you know, 
I'm able to retrieve more information from my brain when I'm uh, given the opportunity to be a mascot. <laughs> there it goes. She's, she's it is on, my calling in life. Ray, she's on a high. Paula, let's stick with you. What's happening at Afford Anything right about now? So the Afford Anything podcast has an awesome interview with Aaron Lowry that if you haven't checked that out, you should. The Afford Anything blog, I have not posted to for like two months, and I'm very embarrassed and ashamed about that. But by the time this episode airs, that fact will have changed. Oh. So I am planning, if if all goes according to plan, that by the time this episode comes out, there will be a post on the Afford Anything blog in which I go over the last five months of my rental property income report. Oh, awesome. So check that out at affordanything.com. What's cool is we're going to get to Aaron here in a couple uh, seconds, but uh, Aaron is also going to be kicking off the next eight weeks. We got next week off. She'll be the star of the show Monday when we come back talking about Broke Millennial. And I heard your awesome interview, Paula, and it's fantastic because we did something completely different. So people, you should listen to that interview on Afford Anything and then come over to Stacky Benjamins and listen to ours because I think between the two of us, we got Aaron Lowry to give up a lot of the goods. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> we did a real deep dive. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Greg, What's going on at, uh, at uh, well, at your house besides hawking the best book that Len Penzo's ever read? That'd be Control Your Cash, Making Money Makes Sense, available now at Amazon. I would have posted something this week, but right now I'm just traumatized and devastated by the disclosure that Paula has not posted to her blog in two entire months. That just strikes me as kind of unprofessional. I know. What's going on there, Pam? I know. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I suck. I totally, yeah. That's, that's an eternity. Yeah, well, Greg, right? Greg, here's what happens. You get yourself a podcast, and who cares about the blog? Exactly. <laughs> that's why I have a podcast. I don't have a podcast. No, but you could. You got all the equipment. But anyway, that would be, I would, I would listen to that. Aaron Lowry, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Well, <laughs> I thought half the time you're wondering, what the hell am I doing here? But uh, Never. but tell us a little bit about the book Broke Millennial because people can pre-order this thing, right? You can, and I'll throw in an incentive if you pre-order and send proof of per proof of purchase. Stumbling on my words there to info at brokemillennial.com, and then I will send you a free bonus chapter of the book. Oh, cool. So you actually would then get the book in its original entirety before I got very verbose, and my publisher said we can't publish a 350-page book, Aaron. It will overwhelm people. Well, that's fantastic. That's cool. So, you know what? If you're driving down the road or you're out walking the dog, I'll have a link to that at uh, stackingbenjamins.com at our show notes. Thanks for playing, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, that's going to do it for today, everybody. Hey, let's talk about what's coming up on the show and also give you a little behind the scenes about stuff happening in the basement. But first, let's talk about the game that we play. We're playing a game. If you're new to the show, you might not have any clue what our game is all about. But for the past six weeks, I've been playing a game on the Friday shows. OG, my partner on this podcast, isn't here. So I entertain myself and bring you along with me. And here's the deal. In this particular game, if you look at the title and maybe the show description, the first few sentences that I say, you might find something that's a little awkward or weird. And if you take those awkward or weird things uh, from the past six weeks and kind of add them together, 
you start thinking to yourself, how, well, what is it that's going on here that uh, doesn't seem to fit exactly? Put those together, email me how they do fit together, and guess what happens? You'll be eligible for a big prize pack that uh, we put together especially for you. We've had people guess it, but they're all people that have won the game before. So if, if you think you've got it, time to step up because this will end the game. And uh, I'm just going to have to give it to one of the people that have won before. But we definitely, we're going to give them a prize. But we also want to give one to somebody new to the game. So go back, check that out, uh, today's show and also past Friday episodes. Speaking of episodes, we're out of here for the next week. That doesn't mean there's nothing coming up for you. we got good stuff coming up next week. Griffin the Intern, we call him the Fintern. See what we did there? Griffin comes down and cleans up our mess for a week. We take a a much-needed week to recharge the batteries and get ready for another eight weeks of awesome, awesome shows. But next week, he digs into the archives and plays some of our best past episodes. Next Monday, we're going to go back to episode 218. By the way, the one you're listening to today is episode 465. And uh, so a couple years ago, our friend Farnoosh Tarabi from the So Money podcast Helped us answer your letters, so it's a nice potpourri episode. And then on Wednesday, a big episode that we got a lot of great feedback about, uh, and this is from just under two years ago. Daryl Kirkpatrick has been on the show a a couple times. He looked at retirement calculators, and so we'll play when he came down to the basement on uh, Wednesday. And then Friday, we're going to replay a fun roundtable that we had almost exactly two years ago. So we're pretty much just going back two years with next week's uh, off week, Pete the Planner from USA Today and from the Million Dollar Plan podcast. Uh, Pete's a, a hilarious guy, great financial planner, but also Pete's been a comedian. So always entertaining radio when you talk about uh, Pete the Planner. All right, that is next week. And then we're going to kick it off and I will spill the beans here. You like Erin Lowry today? We're going to actually talk about her book, Well, we're not going to talk specifically about her book. We're going to talk about lessons from the broke millennial, how to change from being broke to uh, having more of a wealth mindset. That kicks off our next eight weeks. On Wednesday, when we return, Mary Pallon, who has uh, written for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, just about everybody. She wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Monopolist, and it's the real story of how Monopoly was made. We're kicking it off with Aaron Lowry and Mary Pallon when we return in two weeks. So enjoy next week with Griffin the Intern. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Stack more Benjamins. Special thanks to Aaron Lowry. You can find her book, Broke Millennial, at the aptly named brokemillennial.com or head to stackingbenjamins.com where we'll have a link waiting for you. Special thanks to Brett Crosby from Pier Street. You can find out more about their unique brand of real estate investing at peerstreet.com or on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. The Fintern will be taking over next week while the rest of us refresh. Me? I'm setting up camp down at the Sizzler, so if you're looking to split a spinach and artichoke dip, I know a guy. Don't you worry your little heads. I'll be back in a week, though. See ya! You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.